All right. Good morning, Reach Church. So if kids want to head out, they can head out now. Head off to Reach Kids. All right. So uh, the last weeks we have been looking at the mission of Reach Church. The mission of Reach Church. You all right, Randall? All right. <laughs> uh, we've been looking at the, uh, the mission, which is, uh, we, we know the mission. We live to reach all people with, with nothing but Jesus. We live to reach all people with nothing but Jesus. We talked uh, last week about how, uh, how we are sent, we are commissioned, that when we have properly seen Jesus, the only response is to, to ask, here, here, like, who, who will go for me? Here I am, send me. I want to go, send me. I want to be the one who will proclaim this gospel that, that I've received. Now this week we're looking at, at Paul. We're looking at the ministry of Paul, who is probably one of the most dedicated people to the mission of the church. That if we are called to, to live to reach all people with nothing but Jesus, if that's kind of universally the call of the church, Paul was the one who did it the best. Paul took up this charge and he was uh, kind of the, the remarkable kind of front runner that brought the gospel to people who'd kind of been, been left out of this whole gospel message for, for centuries. And so today uh, we want to look at kind of the one of the mission statements of Paul, one of the ways that he actually would reach people with nothing but Jesus, how he'd reach people with the gospel. And what he tells us is that when he went on mission, that he would try to, he would try to, to enter into the worlds of people. He would meet people exactly where they were, enter into their worlds, and then, removing every other obstacle, anything that would get in the way of the gospel, then he would give them Jesus. That he was willing to change so his fundamental identity, how he related to, to all of life, so that there'd be no obstacles when he went to preach the gospel to people. And that's going to be our, our goal this morning. We'll look at how we can actually follow Paul into these things. That this, the culture of this church, the, the desires of this church, need to come second to, to the mission to reach the people out there. And if we're going to reach the people out there, we cannot stay the way that we are. We need to change and remove every barrier, every obstacle, so that we can give them nothing to Jesus. So we're going to look at, at Paul's uh, kind of explanation of this very principle in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. That should probably be 9.57 in the the Bible's in front of you. All right. And we're going to see three things. Three things. All right. We're called to become all things to all people by serving out of freedom. By serving out of freedom for the sake of the gospel blessing. All right. So that's kind of the whole summary of this passage. Become all things to all people. So, so meet people where they are because we are free to do so. We are actually free to do so. We can meet people exactly where they are. And we do it for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Alright, so let's read 1 Corinthians 9 verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, 
but that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have given us forerunners. You've given us um, examples who have taken up the mission and have become all things to all people. But Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way that he, he leads the way in his incarnation, in his, in his submission to, to you and to the mission that you've given him. Father, we thank you that we are the result of that mission. And Father, I ask that you would um, open our eyes to see this calling and this, this mission. And Father, even more importantly, would you, by the Holy Spirit, change our hearts? Would you change us inwardly so that we would want to become all things to all people? That we would willingly, out of freedom, become servants to all? That we might save some? We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory because we want to see people worshiping him. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is about Paul becoming a servant to all that he might save some. We want to figure out, okay, what does it actually look like for Paul to do this? And he's very specific. It's not just this general service. It's that he's a servant to people by kind of submitting to their ways of life, adopting their culture, basically taking, taking everything that they have that isn't, isn't sinful and living in that world so that he can give them the gospel. And so he says in, in verse 20, 21 and 22, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. All right, so Paul, Paul is becoming these groups of people, these radically different groups of people, so that he might enter into their worlds and, and win them, might give them nothing but Jesus. All right, so what does that mean for him? Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. All right, what does that mean for him? All right, so Jewish culture was, was entrenched. It was... It was solid that for, for generations, for centuries and centuries, there was a ceremonial law. There was a certain way of living as a Jew. And so you had to do certain things. You had to eat, eat ceremonial foods. You had to go to ceremonial feasts. You had to do ritual cleansing. And that was just understood that that's what, that's what Jews do. That that is how you get close to God. Now Paul, Paul was free from all of this stuff. He recognized that in Jesus, he'd already been ritually cleansed by the blood of Jesus, not just by water. He recognized he, he'd feasted on, on the body and flesh of Jesus in communion. That he, he didn't need any of this stuff anymore. That all those things had passed away. But, he recognized that if he was going to talk to Jews and be able to get anywhere with them, 
He couldn't just be blatantly throwing out all of their culture. He couldn't be eating crab cakes in front of them and, you know, and just running around eating bacon because it would have been offensive, so offensive that I, they wouldn't have been able to see the gospel. They wouldn't have seen Jesus. All they would have seen was this guy who was going crazy. All right, so what did he do? He went under these laws. He was burdened by these laws that he didn't actually have to submit to so that there might not be obstacles to Jesus. He took up these things so nothing but Jesus would be clearer to the Jews. All right, in the same way, in the same way, he went to the, the Gentiles, to those outside the law. To those outside the law, he became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. All right, so Paul had a different way of living with Jews than he did with Gentiles. And to those outside the law, outside all this ceremonial stuff, when Jesus came to them, he shed all of that. All this stuff that he'd actually grown up with, that was his culture, and he threw it off. Because it would have been more confusing to talk about Jesus with all that stuff in the background. That if you, if you were saying like, oh, like, it, it really is all about Jesus. It's nothing but Jesus. Nothing else makes you righteous. But like, oh, also, I don't do that, 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 or that, and that has nothing to do with Jesus. All right, it'd be confusing. It'd be confusing. It'd get in the way of the gospel. And it'd make them think that they need to work for it or they need to, to try harder that somehow they're, they're saving themselves. That those laws in and of themselves would have been a stumbling block for them. So he cut it out. He cut out anything that did, didn't, didn't cry out Jesus so that they would understand that nothing but Jesus saves them. All right. There's this little caveat, though. It's this parentheses. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. All right. So just so you know, Paul doesn't throw out everything. He doesn't throw out the whole law. No, he throws out those things that are, that are passing away, that are cultural, that are just traditions that that have passed away with Christ. All right, he doesn't become a sinner for, for the sake of Gentiles. That, oh, like they're, they're sinners, I'll just sin with them. No. But he meets them where they are as much as possible. So that he rec they recognize that what he's giving them is, is Jesus, is not this kind of whole cultural system. It's just Jesus. All right, finally, verse 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Alright, so who are the weak in this instance? Alright, this is probably the, the most gospel focused one. Uh, it's, not, it's not actually those who have weak conscience. Alright, those people are already saved. He talked about them. They already understood the gospel. Alright, instead what he's talking about are the, the weak that he talks about in chapter 2. That there are those who are, who are weak and they're actually cherished by, by Jesus in a special way. That the poor, that the sick, that the needy, the people who have no reputation in the world, that those people are actually specially chosen for the gospel. Because they understand that they don't need the world. That the world doesn't have anything to offer them. They've already lost according to the world. They want Jesus. Now Paul was not that kind of guy. Paul was... But Paul was the cream of the crop. He was as good as you're going to get religiously. But here he is in prison. Here he is despised. Here he is shamed. It's actually what this whole letter is about. The whole letter of the Corinthians church has this undertone of like, 
You guys think I'm a screw-up. Like, no, this is what the gospel looks like. It means to suffer for Christ. Then on top of all of this, Paul became weak to save the weak. Then he might be poor to, to minister to the poor. That he might become nothing in the eyes of men so that he might witness to those who are nothing in the eyes of men. All right. So that's what Paul did. That's, those are the kind of things that Paul kind of culturally adapted to so that he could reach people with the gospel. All right. Now, what does this mean for us? For us as Reach Church, as we think about our mission to live to reach all people with nothing but Jesus. All right. We cannot expect the people out there to change and come to us. All right, that's just not how it works. That's not the way of the, that, the God, the, that the Bible tells us to go out. Instead, instead, we adapt and we change to meet the people out there so that when they come here, they hear Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else to distract, nothing else to, to take away from the message. All right. And I think holistically, as a church, like churches have to kind of, they have to choose their niche the people that they're trying to reach and then kind of adapt to that and, and, and look towards that. Now, as a church, we've kind of narrowed in on secular, non-Christian people and the next generation. All right, those are kind of our, our focus audience because that is where the culture is moving. That there's kind of this, used to be this religious undertone that's, kind of, that's largely wiped away. And there's more and more people who know nothing about Jesus, who know nothing about the Bible, who know nothing about the church. Who don't, who like, remember in, uh, they're handing out Bibles at, at the college I went to, and people were like, this can't be the Bible. There's lots of books in here. Like, what, what's all this stuff in here? Like, th that's the level of like, okay, people don't know. All right, that's the kind of people we're trying to reach. People who know that little. Now, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that because there aren't people now pretending to be Christians. There's people who are and who aren't and people who can make that decision and actually see the difference. All right, that's exciting. That's an exciting change. But if we're going to reach those people, if we're going to reach those people, how do we adapt to them, to the next generation, to the young people, and to, to people who know nothing of faith? All right, let's just take some examples. All right, clothing, clothing. We'll start with that. All right, we are largely casual. We are largely casual. All right, that's not just a willy-nilly thing that we kind of threw out there. No, it's that when we want to invite someone to church, we don't want the first thing on their mind to be like, well, what do I wear? How fancy is this? Like, do I need to... We don't want to present this kind of facade that like, oh, like, pretend you're better than you are this just on Sunday. Because you need to be. No, it's like, no, no, bring, bring your disgusting heart along with your like whatever you happen to be on the outside with whatever you happen to be on the inside and come and, come and talk to Jesus. That it's not about putting up this facade on the outside. It's about talking about our hearts, bringing our sin to God. Finding it washed away. All right. I would even say maybe one step further. Like it might look like deliberately trying to dress like cool 
as a message to the young people. Like, because, like, oh, we're not just, like, weird nerds who don't understand what, like, is supposed to happen here. No, like, we actually, like, you're not choosing to be a weirdo in every single way. You're just choosing to be a Christian. All right, you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You don't also need to be clothed with, with and there's no other standards than that. Come as you are. All right, that's how we started to think about this stuff. Um, all right, worship, worship. All right, worship is supposed to be a reflection of, in some sense, the culture. That people, when they worship God, they should worship God in the way that would seem natural to them. That when people worship, they, they worship in their own language. They worship with the songs that they create, and that's a good thing. All right. What are the people out there? What's their music sound like? All right. They're listening, they're listening to pop music. They're listening to rap. They're listening to... Every time I, this, high, this high schooler I get in, gets in my car, he's like, let's see if I can blow out your speakers today with like bass boosted whatever. And like it's just a big explosion. All right, that's what they're listening to. All right. You don't then take that person and then say like, worship God with this 400-year-old hymn. All right, it's just unnatural. And when we start talking about mighty bulwarks, like, people literally have no idea what we're talking about. And that's where, like, the gospel's confusing, but it doesn't need to be that confusing. All right, there's a reason we don't use the King James Version anymore at, at this church. You can still use it, but, like, it's because it's just a barrier. It's an obstacle that, that doesn't need to be there. It's cultural. All right, so, and we, like, we forget how deeply entrenched this is. Casey and I were at Target yesterday. We're walking through Target, looking at Christmas decorations, and I turn to Casey and I say, Casey, what's a Noel? All right, what is a Noel? Tom, Tom knows. He, yeah, okay. All right, does it say in the Bible what, what a Noel is? No. It never mentions it. It's just, it's a remnant from hymns. All right, it means Christmas. All right, why do we have a secret name used in hymns to talk about Christmas? It's confusing. It's confusing to people. Maybe that just shows my ignorance and my silliness, but like, yeah, she, she's, she's giving me the silly look. Like she knows. She, she's sung all those songs. So clearly she looked them up. Um, <laughs> all right, but that's, that's the reality of people we're, we're dealing with. That even Christians aren't raised on some of this stuff. And we need to be careful in how we're, how we're reaching them. That if we're giving them a way to worship that is natural or unnatural. If we're asking people to, to turn into someone 400 years ago, 200 years ago, to worship Jesus. Like, no. No, they can worship Jesus right now, today, in their own culture, just as they are. All right. That's where we've been talking more and been recruiting you all to join, like, the social media team. All right. That's where people are. That's where our culture is. Do I want to be there? No, I don't want to be there. All right? That's honest. But like, they're there. And so we're moving there. And I, I want to be there because that's where they are. And that's where we're asking you to like, like things and share things because that way people will see them. Actually like, meet people there with the church. 
All right, so. All this stuff. Um, all right, why is it so important? Why is it so important? Now, I know that it starts to feel kind of like, well, why are, we, why are we catering to them? Shouldn't we be like challenging them? Like, all right, our motto here is nothing but Jesus. Is nothing but Jesus. And do we realize what that, what's that saying to our culture? Basically saying that, okay, and this is the gospel, so it cannot change. It does not change. Like, there is nothing good in you. That you have, you have, broken fellowship with the God of all eternity and your sin is so bad like you deserve eternal punishment for that. And everything that you've ever tried to do that was good was totally marred by sin. And the only thing that could possibly change your life is that 2,000 years ago the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh and died on the cross to wash you clean by his blood and if you depend on anything but that, any righteousness of your own, you'll perish. But, but this, is, this is Jesus offering you his perfection and holiness. All right. That's a shocking message. That is, that is the hurdle of hurdles to get over. That the only thing that can possibly save them is Jesus. That the only thing that can give them true happiness is Jesus. That the only thing that will sustain them through all of this suffering unto eternal glory is Jesus. That's our message. And I hope that's a message that's very clear every, every Sunday, every Bible study, every reach class. All right, we don't need more barriers between that. That to get there is, is a huge thing. I'm going to meet people exactly where they are if we're going to give them that. We don't need to attach a Christian culture to it. All right. Now remind us, remind us. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. That Jesus could have uh, you can't, no, I can't speak for what he could have done. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the rules are. So, uh, when Jesus came to us, he didn't come. He didn't come distant. He came exactly as we were. He came to address us as a fellow sufferer, as a fellow human, in poverty, in rags. That's what Christmas is all about. And he did that because we needed to be met exactly where we were. And he took it far further. He became sin for us because we are sinners. He died for us because we needed to die. All right, that's why we meet people where they are because Jesus met us where we are. Amen? Amen. All right, so uh, now some rules that are going to help us get there. Some like kind of general general ways of thinking about the Christian life that are going to help us do this. And we're going to see it in verse 19. We kind of need to do this with a fundamental freedom in mind. A fundamental freedom in mind. Verse 19. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might, be, might, that I might win more of them. 
All right, so Paul's talking to the, the church in Corinth, and he's saying that he is fundamentally free. He is free. And in, in, in the, earlier in the chapter, we're not going to get into it much, is that he talks about all the freedom that he has. And he says that, that I was, I'm free from any of this ceremonial law. I don't have to do any more of it. It's a, Jesus took care of it all. All right, I'm, I'm free as an apostle. I, get to, I have like certain rights that are my rights and I get to demand them. He has a right to a, to a wife. He has a wife to a salary as an apostle. All right, he has freedom from, from needing to serve people. He doesn't have to do this. He doesn't owe them anything. He knows that Jesus has died, that Jesus' works have become his works, that he is perfect in Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't need to earn anything for salvation. He is fundamentally free. Now, I'm sure people criticize his freedom. And they questioned his freedom. They questioned, like, well, are you really free? Are you, are you allowed to, to not obey these commandments? Or when he was among the Gentiles, like, maybe you're just using your freedom to, as an excuse to, to indulge in sin. I'm sure there was all that, but, but Paul, Paul would have fought that. He knew he was free to do what he was called to before Jesus. Then when it came to all this cultural stuff, he had freedom. And the reality is, I want to tell us as clearly as possible, you have freedom as well. We have freedom. All right. You have, you have freedom from the Christian religion. From the Christian religion, from the, the culture of Christianity. That just because it's always been done this way doesn't mean that those are rules. All right. Hymns aren't like the rule of the faith that those are better than any others. We have total freedom with that. We can choose to sing hymns. We can choose not to. We can choose to sing the loudest, screamiest music ever, or we can choose not to. But we have total freedom in that. And we can, we can use those plates. We can do communion one way. We can do it another way. There just really aren't that many rules. And I want us to have a fundamental freedom when we think about these things. That just because you've only seen it done one way doesn't mean that, that that's how it was ever said to do it in the Bible. The fact that I'm talking right now, like it doesn't say that the preacher should speak for, for 35 minutes and that's how we all get most blessed once a week. All right? No, it's not, it's not a rule. And so the, that should open up like worlds of possibility for you. And that if everything changed about this Sunday service, You'd say, oh, like we're just doing something different, not something bad. No, we're not breaking any rules. No, it's just different. We're free. All right, as a Christian, as a Christian, you should, you should feel free. Just in your personal life that you, you're free to eat and drink and watch and, and do what you want to do before the Lord with clear conscience. And so if you're, if you're going out to to be like the Gentiles, to meet them where they are, you have freedom to do that. If you're going to meet a Muslim family, you have freedom to be restrained and to not eat bacon with them. And you're not compromising, you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. You have freedom in these things. 
You have freedom from, from people pleasing. You have freedom even from like needing to serve the people out there. No, there's no salvation in that. You're not going to save yourself. We're not going to make ourselves holy or Christians. Our holiness is in Jesus. That if we go and do this, it's because we're using our freedom. All right, why do I say this? Why do I say this? I think we need to get rule-bound and judgmental when it comes to the church. That we, we don't just have things we want. We have things that we assume are, are real laws. And we've created a, a religion of Christian culture that just doesn't exist. And oftentimes, we, instead of using our, our freedom to, to meet the people out there, we use our freedom to, to make the church that we want for ourselves. That's our temptation. And that's where Paul goes exactly the other way. Look at, look at this verse 19 again. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. I've made myself a servant to all that I might win war of them. So Paul, out of his freedom, out of his, his freedom in Christ, willingly becomes a servant. <laughs> the magic thing. I don't know why that happens. Um, <laughs> the Lord has spoken. Um, all right. Uh, he uses his freedom to serve. He uses his freedom to, to willingly enter into, into servanthood. All right, and that's expressing his greater freedom. So not only does he have freedom from the laws of the, the culture, he also has freedom from his own selfishness. Freedom from his own preferences that he's not enslaved to himself even or his own sin. That he has freedom to, to meet people where they are because it's not all about him. It's actually about them. He would willingly choose to use his freedom to serve. Now that gives us incredible power if we are able to do that. Because then we can serve, but we don't have to feel like we're, we're indebted to people. We're not enslaved and then we're not humiliated. We're not like pleading that, oh, like, please, please be served. Like, no, we can do it with a freedom. And we do it with a clarity. And we don't have to be frantic. We don't have to be hyperindulgent of the people out there. No, because we're doing it for our own joy and because of the freedom we have in Christ. All right, when you think of the freedom that you have, what do you use it for? When we think of our freedom as a church, what do we use our freedom for? Do we use it to indulge sin? Do we use it to, to just fight for our preferences? Or do we use it to, to become servants to all? All right, one aspect of this that I, I think is important um, All right, you guys have given, been given a privilege because you are not leaders in the church. You have the freedom to follow. All right. And that freedom means you're not responsible for the decisions that are made about worship, for the decisions are made about how we dress, for the decisions that are made about how we express the church here. Instead, you have this freedom to, like, to trust that it's not in your hands, and you don't need to, to judge. 
you don't need to kind of micromanage or, or oversee leadership. You can receive these things and joyfully be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Now, does that create blindness? No. No, if you don't understand, let's talk about it. But there's a certain freedom in that. A freedom to, to be led. And that's how, that's how we're actually taught about the freedom to, to follow Jesus. It's freedom from selfishness and sin. It's freedomness, freedom from our own agendas. That we kind of get to let go and, and follow. All right. All right, last point, and it's shorter. It's shorter. Yeah, this guy likes that. All right, there we go. Uh, <laughs> all right. What's the point of all this? Like, so what are we trying to get out of this? What's going to empower us to do it? All right, verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. All right, there's something very obvious but very important here. All right, Paul, Paul does all this for the sake of the gospel. That there's something bigger than Paul. There's something bigger than you. There's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than this life. That what Jesus has done is bigger and better than everything that has ever happened. The gospel. That Jesus came and he died. That the holiness of God was given to man. That the punishment was taken. And that now we live for the sake of the gospel because if it weren't without the gospel, we would not live. We would be dead in the water. And now the lives that we live, we live to Christ for the sake of the gospel. All right, this church, this church exists for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of us. Not for the sake of you, not for the sake of me. It doesn't exist for the sake of, of having the church that you want. It exists for the sake of the gospel. that we might hold the gospel and we might give the gospel. All right. But last part. He says this last part, that, that I might share with them in its blessing. That I might share with them in its blessing. All right. We're fundamentally about all this for the joy of it. To share in its blessings. All right. Example. Example. Uh... All right, have you ever watched a, a comedy in a movie theater? All right. You watch it in a movie theater, and it's hilarious. All right, because you have 400 people sitting there laughing their heads off. All right, and it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing experience. You're convinced this is the funniest movie in all time. But then you take it back, you rent it, and show it to your spouse, and they hate the thing. All right, and they don't laugh one time. They don't even smile. It's just a miserable experience. All right, the same thing happens at comedy shows. So you're like sitting there and you're like, this is the greatest comedian. And then you like put on a YouTube video of them and like your friend doesn't laugh. All right, there's something about sharing. Sharing the experience together, sharing the blessing together. It's better. It's a better experience. You can actually see the thing for what it is. You enjoy it more. All right, C.S. Lewis calls the consummation of joy, that, that joy that is not shared isn't, isn't complete. You haven't enjoyed, like, the fact that you got a promotion until you've gone home and, like, talked about it with your spouse or you've told your best friend. Until you've done that, you haven't really enjoyed it. All right, that's, the, that's what Paul is getting at in, in this, this last statement. 
that we share the gospel for the joy of it. Because we actually like Jesus. And it helps us enjoy Jesus to enjoy him together. That's where the worship experience is actually better when there's more people in this room. Because there's more people enjoying Jesus together. Alright, that's why we go out. It's because we have all these preferences. We have our own sinful desires. But ultimately, we want to enjoy Jesus. And we enjoy Jesus more in community. We enjoy Jesus more when there's more people enjoying him. We can you say to that person who is guilt-ridden and shameful that, that they don't need to anymore, the joy of the cross, that that's probably the best thing for your faith is seeing someone else be, find freedom in Jesus. We want to be able to foster that kind of joy. All right. All right. Three, three practical steps. Three practical steps and I'll leave you. Oh, now everyone picks their pens back up. Finally. <laughs> All right. One. One. If you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. All right. You can't be on mission if you don't understand nothing but Jesus. If you haven't received him, if you're still living under, under slavery, you will not be able to be on mission. All right. Jesus came and he died so that you might have freedom so you don't have to work anymore. There is no righteousness you can earn for yourself. Jesus gives it all to you. That's how, the only way that it works. It's nothing but Jesus. All right, second. Second, this may seem obvious, but it's going to be the first step in being on mission. You need to know some non-Christians. All right, you actually have to know some. All right, some of you, I bet, don't have a single non-Christian acquaintance. All right, others you don't have non-Christian friends. Others you, you're, in, you're in the lives of non-Christians. Good, good. You're doing better. But like take it one step further. Have them over. Do, do whatever it takes to get to know them better. All right, you're not going to share faith with someone that you like have only ever talked about like, oh, like the coffee's good today. Yep, like the coffee is good today. I hope it's good tomorrow. Like, see you later. All right, that progress the conversation a little bit. All right, maybe that means having them over. Maybe that means having a, a Christmas party at your house. Like, do things to create relationships with non-Christians. Enter their lives. Don't expect them to enter yours. All right, don't expect them to be like, wow, like, you are practically an angel. Like, have you been met with the God of the universe? And you're like, oh, finally you noticed. All right, no, no. Enter their lives. Tell them about how sinful you are and how much you like Jesus. And then let's do it that way. All right? Enter into their worlds. All right. And finally, finally, if you're not all in with the mission, sign the little card. All right? The cards are, can be passed down. We did them last week. All right. This means that basically you're going to you're going to let your hands go and say, okay, there are some things that are Christian freedom and I trust the leadership to do what they're going to do and I'm not going to be whiny about it. And I'm not going to fight for this church to be all about me. I want to be all about the mission. I want to be all about the people there. And if you sign that card and you realize, you know what, I don't, I don't like something we're doing. Instead of being bitter about it, you come to leadership and talk to us about it. And you say like, I, I don't see the freedom in this. I, I think this is not biblical. Like, help me see. 
That's what we're asking in this little form statement-y thing. All right. If you fill out that you want to volunteer, Julie Metzger will hit you up and please respond to her. She's very discouraged if you don't respond back. Um, all right, we're on, this, we're on this earth for a short amount of time. We have a eternity ahead of us. Eternity ahead of us. And we have 80, 90 or so years to be about the mission of Jesus. Let's be a church that is actually about the mission of Jesus. That isn't about ourselves, that is about the people out there. Because Jesus was about the people who, who were not believers. He was, he was all about us first. Now that he found us, let's go, let's go find others. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you met us where we were. You met us in our, in our sin and our sorrows, sin that we had caused ourselves. You, had, you could have just wiped us out and said you, you met us where we were. And, and by your spirit, you, you gave us the good news. You gave us the gospel. That you, you gave your life for the sake of the gospel. Father, I ask that you would help us do this thing. Would you give us great joy in being about your mission? Would you send us out to, to live to reach all people with nothing but Jesus? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.